Welcome everyone to yet another episode of the ERG Movement Podcast. Here we bring on some amazing people all across the ERG space, and today is not an exception to that. We have Rhett, and actually, you know what, Rhett, I'm going to have you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, absolutely, Messio. Happy to be here with you and to the listening audience or the viewing audience. I know these will go up on YouTube eventually. How's it going? My name is Rhett Burton. I am the Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging for Compass Family Services, which is a nonprofit in San Francisco, California, on a mission to end family homelessness. Mm. Prior to my time in the nonprofit world, I worked in higher education for over a decade and had held positions in student affairs, academic, multicultural affairs, or DEI space, very heavily involved re regionally and nationally as you know, every good organization has branches where you have continued education. I am a father. I am a husband. I am a brother. I am a son. And really excited to chat with you. Very excited for this conversation. I would love to know just in general how you got into the diversity space or maybe even just like your first touch point with ERGs. Maybe both. Yeah, absolutely. So Working in the, the, the higher ed space, higher ed had been at the front line of what we would consider diversity, equity, inclusion. But years ago, it was called multicultural affairs. And anyone that's ever been privileged enough to be on a college campus, especially one that has some size and scope, you know that there are different social organizations that are very similar to ERGs or affinity groups, whether it is a fraternity or sorority, whether it's a student activities or a student government association. All of us have been a part of micro affinity groups sort of leading up to what we would be considering an ERG now. At the universities I've worked at, you know, we have multicultural centers, which is what they were called before they were in the DEI centers or spaces. So I've had a bit of heavy involvement from there, doing things on the programmatic side, doing things on the educational side, and also doing some strategic planning and listening tours around the university, especially with students. So um, much of my background in this space comes from the realm of higher ed, which I think is so powerful because when we think about some of the concepts that are used with great regularity in this space, whether it's intersectionality, or you're talking about Kimberly Crenshaw at UCLA, or you are thinking about microaggressions, or that's Dr. Pierce, and that's Harvard. So all of these were birthed out of think tanks or birthed out of universities. And to be in a place where the knowledge that comes or that's crafted to then go out into the nonprofit, the tech, the business, the corporate space, I think it gives you a really unique way of looking at the work mm -hmm. and how you interpret not only what's best for the communities you're a part of, but building inclusive and equitable space. And I mean, thing one, as you mentioned, Going way back to the multicultural piece, because I think a lot of people don't even see the link because of like the rapid push for DNI recently. Like back when I was still in school, like there was multicultural clubs where I feel like those are like almost essentially like many DNI councils. Absolutely, absolutely, I would agree with you. You know, if again for those of us that have been privileged enough to go to a university, especially one that is larger, you have multiple student organizations. You know, I went to the University of Maryland Eastern Shore for undergrad, which is a historically black college in Princess Anne, Maryland. I'm from Maryland, and you know, I think we had things like the African Student Association, 
Well, that was a major affinity space for African students, whether they were coming directly from the continent or they were just part of the diaspora. And that space made people feel safe. Go see, we've had LGBTQ clubs or LGBT clubs back then. We would commemorate certain holidays. So, you know, all of us can sort of corral around the importance of like a Black History Month, especially if you're at a Black college or AAPI month. Mm -hmm. um, though there are always these micro communities. It may be something academically based where you're a part of the chemistry club, where you're a part of the debate team. Well, these are all micro affinity spaces. These are mm -hmm. all resources. And though you may not be an employee of the institution, these are resource groups to make you feel seen, to make you feel safe, giving you opportunities to feel heard and to build community. So I would agree with you. I don't think some people always think about sort of multiculturalism or what I believe multicultural was before it transmorphed into the DEI space. Mm -hmm. But it, it's really everywhere. People have that in high school. Um, you know, they do things like that. If you join the swim club and you're, you know, I have a tunnel and I'm interested in getting her involved in swimming. And when we do so, she'll be a part of the swim club. Well, that'll be a micro community for her. So again, I think that we have been a part of these practices, these micro institutions for a very long time before they became so developed and well resources what we know now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so big. I don't think a lot of people realize the link there. And even for people who are pondering getting into the ERG space, maybe they are part of some of these type of clubs before. And it's like, same concept, just more mature. Yeah, you know, absolutely. absolutely. All the things. Absolutely. I love that. Okay, so you moved from, and even when we were talking before this, this official session, you mentioned something about how you experienced going from being a tacticianer yeah. to a practitioner. Yeah. Explain that concept for people uh, hearing that maybe for the first time. Absolutely. So I would say earlier on in my career, and no matter what industry you're in, whether you're in higher edge or in finance or in tech, you're in the nonprofit space. You know, when you get some of those early positions, like a frontline position or an entry level position, even going up to middle management, you are a tactician. You are there, not necessarily for your abilities to think strategically, but for your ability to do a task. You mm -hmm. are there to provide the hands that allow things to move. You are the cog in the wheel. And there's nothing wrong with that because cogs are important. You need those to function. But as you transcend upward in your career, when you get to upper level management, senior, C-suite, whatever the verbiage is in your industry, you realize that you have been promoted, not just for your ability to do the job or be tactical, but for your ability to think, for your ability to be strategic. And if you are a practitioner of something, you are trying to manage the best of both worlds having the ability to do, but what's more important to your organization, what's more important to the work is your ability to think, is mm -hmm. your ability to strategize, is to plan. Um, and execution at the senior level doesn't mean that you're the one physically doing the work. And if we think about it in the ERG space, if you have an executive sponsor, you know, they are helping you think. They are planning with you, but they may not be there setting up tables, chairs, trying to book the speaker, get people paid. They are the guiding hand. So they have become a strategist. They mm -hmm. are helping you as a practitioner, but they are not tactically doing it. 
And there are times that those are going to interchange. But one of the things that I think is important as you are growing in your career is that the higher you go, there is an understanding that you know how to do, but do you know how to think? Mm. Can you think on an executive level? Can you think strategically? Can you think forwards, backwards, to the left and to the right? Because that is as valuable a skill, if not more, when you are planning the direction that your ERG or your organization is going. Whereas being able to do the work is important, but it's at different levels. Mm-hmm. You know, working at a nonprofit, I find myself encouraging teams and chatting with folks that it's very easy for folks to look at the CEO or whatever the title is and to say, oh, you know, well, they can't do my job. They don't know how to manipulate this system and do that. And you're right. But we have to understand the reciprocity of that approach that you can't do their job and that it would be far harder for you to learn to think at that level because some of it is years of experience life experience, opportunities, being around a strategic group of people. Whereas though they may not be able to immediately do it, I can figure out how to tactically do what you do. And Mm -hmm. experience is what allows you to do what someone else can do. So it's really understanding the difference. And I think, you know, a lot of us like to travel. And this is an analogy that isn't going to be perfect, but I hope paints a picture of what you get on an airline and you have the 12 seats in first class in everyone else on the Airbus. Well, if we are thinking about it in terms of strategic leadership or seniority, well, the folks that are in first class, you're having a different level of conversation. Your amenities are different. Uh, How you can do your work, what makes you comfortable. The reason that you're there is different than the folks that are maybe at the back of the plane. And it's not to say that one is better than another, because no matter what our human differences, all of us have value, but it does speak to the fact that some people are strategists. Some people are growing to a place where being a practitioner is more about thinking. And some people are tacticians where you're really proficient at your job, but you're at that level because you can do, not because you're you're not capable. You're just not at the level yet where you have to think differently. And that's, that's been one of the biggest lessons for me to learn. Someone that has, you know, started off like any person at entry level, spending a great deal of time in middle management. And when I was an assistant director at, you know, at different universities and I would do diversity initiatives and training and education. Well, I was the one physically doing, I would check in with my senior director and they say, oh, that's great. Or I want you to think about this, or have you considered doing it this way? And though I'm getting check-ins on how to do the work, that's their portion. Their portion is to help me think how not to go physically. And when you understand that there is a difference in the stratosphere, it allows you to say to yourself, this is the thing that I want to work on. I need to be in rooms where people are thinking strategically. I need to be in rooms where executive level decisions are made because I want to know what is involved in that process and not just can someone give me basic direction and I can follow it. Mm-hmm. And for ERG leaders who typically do come in at that entry level, that support level, who maybe are looking to move more so into that strategist level, what would you recommend to them? Yeah, well, I would say there are three things that immediately come to mind, and these aren't in a numerical order. The first thing that comes to mind is you have to have or gain some level of mastery of what you're doing. Far too often, people are put in positions and they are either enjoying the work or they're good at it, 
And then you say, you know what? I think I'm good. I got it. It's time to go to the next level. Well, no, what you need to do is gain a mastery. It's not just is good enough, good enough. Is is mm -hmm. good enough what's going to lead us to the next level? Mm -hmm. um, because it doesn't mean that you don't have value, but it means that, again, you are a cog in the wheel. And sometimes that is just the role you have to play to get a grander understanding of the organ, what's needed in your ERG. So you can't just be a part to be a part. You have to be a part and want to do. The second thing is I would say you have to challenge yourself to think, to learn, and to grow in a different way. Not every path is going to be linear. So you have to understand that if you've been coming in at an entry level and you've been here for a while and you know that you have the talent, the capability, the know-how, the, the drive, the intuition, sometimes it's mastering this role and you may not be able to grow like this. You may have to grow slightly. You may have to jump forward, jump to the left, do a little bit of hopscotching. Because again, there is so much involved and you have to be comfortable with that, knowing that the best days are yet to come. Mm. Um, and just because you are doing all the work and you are putting the time in, that's what's necessary for success. There are very few realms in, in we think about professions or careers, and the only realm that I can think of is sports, where your potential means more than your current level of talent. Potential doesn't work in jobs that you have to go to every day because you have to put in the work. People can see it in you, but there is that show and prove. That's that Missouri concept. I'm from the show me state. I can see the potential, but I need to see you actually do it. Only in sports can I look at you and say, oh, wow, you're built like LeBron James. You may not be LeBron James, but you're built like him. So I want to put you in a position to see if you can live up to that expectation. And that's not always possible. I would say the third thing is you have to understand what your why is. Because if you are just in an ERG, if you're just in an affinity group, you're just doing things because it is a compliance issue, well, you're, it's not going to mean anything to you. And as soon as you have an opportunity to bow out, to not do, to not be challenged, to not grow, then you'll give up because it did not mean anything. So I think what's important is, again, we, we realize that you have to understand your why. You have to be flexible and pliable. You have to know that sometimes growth means growing, not just literally. And then the last thing is when you show up, you have to show up and be committed to excellence. Those are so, like, there are so many bars in what you said. You're really speaking my language here. I mean, one, the first one, even from the very first point that you mentioned in terms of being an expert at something before moving on, for ERG program managers even oftentimes they come into an organization they start delegating immediately without even necessarily knowing what they're delegating what's the damage in that i know you kind of touched on it but specific to yeah. like ergs well, i would say that when you think about ergs and i understand that people get excited and that you know i want to take the excitement and the initiative of the delegation in the vein that i think it's normally meant so i'm assuming everybody's being a good actor but in doing so, one thing that I think is, is direly important is, one, you have to understand and you have to honor what's been done. One thing that no member of an ERG or any group wants is leadership coming and saying, you know what, scrap what you did in the effort, the time, the blood, the sweat, the tears. We're going to do it this way. And now I just need you to jump on board because that is you trying to pull the train ahead instead of jumping on the train with mm -hmm. people and learning and growing collectively. Another thing when I think about program managers is that 
all of this, when we think about it in the realm of belonging and inclusivity is we need to co-design these processes. It does not mean that I'm not gonna have the final say. It does not mean that I may not veto certain ideas, but everyone needs to be a part because what I'm doing is creating buy-in. And if I don't create buy-in, there's going to be a level of respect that people give based on the title that I may have or the role that I may assume for a year or two, but it doesn't mean they're not going to be bought in. And if they're not bought in, how can you get anything meaningful done? And I think far too often in the ERG space, what winds up happening is people don't, one, learn to embrace the culture and celebrate what's been done. It's so, I'm so impressed with what you all did, even if what you did was considered minimal, but minimal may have been a major step. Mm -hmm. And far too often we can mask our commentary behind, oh, that's just performative. Well, sometimes you got to perform because that's all that you can do. And mm -hmm. guess what? Being performative is better than doing nothing. And if you don't know the culture, if you don't know what people have gone through, you will isolate yourself and you will ostracize everyone else under the guise of thinking you know it all. And it's really important that when people have the opportunity to lead, that we, one, we honor what's been done. We get a historical picture of the landscape. What are some, what have we tried? What have we not tried? What are people willing to do? What do you have the capacity and bandwidth to do? And how can I help us achieve that goal? Because it's an us, it's not a me, it's an us. Everything we're doing is about how we achieve, not how I can point you in a direction and hope that you achieve. I hope that people are listening and did not just like skip past that part because it might be hard to hear, but it needs to be said in terms of a lot of organizations, even with the ERG movement, we talk about a lot where they have been performative over the last couple of years. But how has that set up the program for future success? I really like that point of honoring what has been done, Absolutely. not discrediting it, because you, how are you going to get buy-in from just shaming people, essentially? Absolutely. And if anyone knows anything about just shame or guilt or anxiety, these are things that we will all experience across human difference. doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, your race, your ethnicity your size, your ability, we will all go through shame. We will all go through guilt. We will all go through trauma. And we recognize that it's not just important in the realm of mental health, but in the way you see your work, it allows us to be a bit more humane. All of mm -hmm. us want to check in and to make sure people are okay when I know you're experiencing a mental health crisis. But there is trauma in giving your all to something and it not turning out the way you want. There is shame in trying your best and it just not being good enough. I mean, that will happen. And what is direly important again, is that when we are coming in, we are understanding and not just because we understand the buzzword of something being performative, but knowing that, okay, wow, you've worked at an institution, let's say a financial institution. This financial institution has been around for centuries. And even though folks got more in their step, with George Floyd's senseless murder, that was a pivot point. And there cannot be a reasonable expectation that an institution that's 100, mm -hmm. 200, 75, 50 years old are going to do a complete 180, which is counter to everything that the foundation is built on. Mm -hmm. and well, that's not even healthy in many cases. It's not 
Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that folks shouldn't be pushed to do and to try and to learn more, but it also means that if from 1900 when it was founded to 2020, we haven't done anything, well, yeah, the ship's probably not going to turn as quickly as we'd like. And that's okay because mm -hmm. you have people there that are steering the ship now. You have been given an, a bit of power where change can be enacted. And if it didn't change by osmosis from things that you and I may have seen have happened to people like us forever, I have to understand that the progress may be slow, but it doesn't mean that the progress isn't meaningful. Mm -hmm. Slow change doesn't mean it's not meaningful change. It just means it's slow. Mm -hmm. um, and I know for some people, they won't want to hear that because for some of us, and I don't disagree, you know, we, we can have our difference in ideologies. It's okay, well, there have been these systems of oppression and power and these structures in place, light a match to it. Okay, let's light a match. Where are you gonna get the resources from? Who's going to sponsor? Who's going to be your ally, your advocate? Who's going to mentor? Who is going to try to put you in places because now there's a level of awareness and it doesn't mean they're always gonna do it right, but it does mean we have to understand a bit of human nature and just the way things work. You know, there are trees that are thousands or not millions of years old. And even when you cut them down or when lightning strikes, they still stand. It doesn't mean that they haven't been shaped. doesn't mean they haven't been changed. But it does mean that to pick up a concrete slab and wonder why lighter fluid in a match won't change it, that's just not the way it works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's important that we do whatever we can to make meaningful changes. And if anyone gets to a place where they feel as though they are no longer able to make meaningful change, they've lost the interest, then it may be time to consider a new department, a new career, or a new place of employment. Because some places are going to move quicker than others, but it doesn't mean that the places that don't move as quick don't have people that want to try it, or doesn't mean that what you do isn't valuable to the community that may not be as engaged as you are. And I have to say, this is like right in line with a recent thought that I've been having. Even I feel like, what do they call it? The great, it's not the great recession. I always keep saying that, but without ever yeah. resignation. Yeah, well, you've had, we've had, yeah, the great resignation. You've had, mm -hmm. you know, these, you've had these great redistributions, especially of people in the workplace. I mean, they, these things happen. Yeah. And with those, I feel like a lot of people, they potentially moved into organizations wanting to have that same change maybe that their other organization was doing and applying those same principles and not even assessing what that organization is. So if it is an older organization, yeah. like you mentioned, change isn't going to happen and then that's going to lead to disappointment. Just yeah. And I think the thing that's important to realize is that change is inevitable. The speed at which the change happens is not in your control. Change right. is going to happen, whether it's for better or worse. But the speed of that change is out of the realm of your control. Yep. That's huge. Okay. Another point then, another point that we spoke about too. Actually, I think I want to start with this because you're at a nonprofit. I don't think that ERGs leverage nonprofits enough. That's just my personal take. But I'm curious, like how have you seen successful like nonprofit and ERG programming coming together? Any recommendations well, for ERGs? That's a great point. I'll be honest with you. I have been in my position for a little more than 11 months. So I'm coming up on my one year as our director. And I have a DEIB task force. We are not at the level of maturity where we can have ERGs. 
And I think it's for two reasons. One is because historically, the organization hasn't had it. The organization is 114 years old. And in those 114 years, in the last two years, has there been a real shift to understanding the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? So if we were to do the math on that, they have been in existence far longer than there has been care. And that's not necessarily the work's fault. Some of it is about know-how, about leadership, about the ability to pay, retain. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. And what I have shared with the folks that are here at my job is that I want to have the perpetual olive branch extended into perpetuity. I understand that there are going to be ebbs and flows in the position in your life, in the workload. And I am here to support, but I am not here to do for you. Mm. And if we are unable to attain ERGs, then my goal is then to say, well, what's the next best thing? And that's to create the most diverse and multicultural task force that's possible. And my task force has done amazing things. We do a lot of programmatic efforts. And we are we're actually today at 12 o'clock. One of the task force members is doing something on International Day of Biphobia and Transphobia, which is actually something that happened last week. And I have told people a part of the task force, one, I want to leverage what you're interested in and what you're good at. Because then we can we can create meaningful opportunities, meaningful ways to engage, and meaningful programmatic efforts. But I need to lean into what you're good at. I can't have you lean into what my expertise or background is because we're in different places in our walk. The second thing that I've told people is that, and if I had to paint a mantra on the wall or to, to tat it on my forehead, is that we are not going to let perfection impede progress. Everything's not going to be perfect. But in far too many cases, especially in nonprofits or places that don't have the same level of resources, if it can't be done perfectly, well, let's not do it at all. Mm. And I, I've told folks, and my thing is, we don't know how many people we're disenfranchising by not doing it, even if it's not the best. Even if we don't have giveaways or snacks or prizes or a guest speaker, there is so much lived experience. There is so much research that you can do. There is so much that we can do that let's not climb that mountain of can't. Let's just walk down the road of can't. And if you can differentiate the two, that it's very easy to get caught up on the mountain of this. We don't have a sponsor. We don't have a budget. We don't have the design skill. We are shy when it comes to things. Well, okay, that, let's take that into accountability. And that's great. But as passionately as we can articulate the can, let's articulate the can. What can we do? What are you comfortable with? What strengths do you have? Where can we leverage what makes you you? and bring it to the organization. And I promise you, the anxiety that builds, that comes with that, more people are going to benefit and appreciate what you do instead of being able to articulate what you can't. Mm, that is so, so powerful. And I think it even exists within a lot of organizations. I can imagine how having limited resources will lead people into this road of perfectionism. But also, I to add to that, then a question would be, knowing that you have limited resources, what are some recommendations that you have for other organizations? Because right now, ERG budgets, they're not what they maybe used to be, or maybe they just started off small, but how do you, how can ERGs leverage their budget? Absolutely. The what, whether you have a budget or you don't, I would say one, there are three things that I would give recommendations on. And I, I am a person that believes 
that DEI should be open sourced. Resources and things should be open sourced. It does not mean that you should not have to pay someone for their scholarship or their time or the abilities that they have and the excellence that they put into their craft. But mm -hmm. if all of us are trying to achieve a more racially and ethnically diverse workforce that is inclusive, that values equity and makes folks belong, well, then there shouldn't be a paywall behind everything mm -hmm. because we are all trying to move the work forward and not just move my org forward. Yeah. Far too often, especially being in Silicon Valley, there is this level of showmanship where, oh, well, look at what we're doing and why aren't you doing that? Well, there are so many factors that go into that. And instead of just hoisting where you are and we should celebrate the amazing accomplishments, what can we do to bring others along? That's the greatest accomplishment you could ever have is how did you bring someone else along? So when I think about it from a programmatic sense, like I said, we have done things for Ramadan, Dia de los Muertos, National Coming Out Day, International Day Against Bi and Transphobia. We, and these are programs that have been led, and these are educational programs that have been led by members of those communities or those space or those sectors. And we are co-designing things together. Mm. How can I help you? How can we give you an opportunity or a platform to talk about your experience? Because people want to learn. People want to know. And there is a greater level of connection that comes, not just from inviting an outside voice, but from someone that you see every day. I didn't know that about you. Or I am so appreciative of you telling more and how it's impacted you or the way it makes you feel. So I think, again, leaning into the talent that you have, everything doesn't have to cost money. Next, when I think about, you know, inclusion and belonging, if you are fortunate enough to live in a major city or a minor city or even rural areas, what's happening in the community that we can support? What are some initiatives? What are opportunities to learn, engage, grow, be challenged, volunteer that we can get involved in? And maybe if we don't have the financial or the fiscal resources we do have time, we have talent, and we have what it takes to, to give back. So if there is, you know, in San Francisco, there are so many different festivals and things that happen, you know, for AAPI Heritage Month, they are free walking tours throughout the city of like Chinatown. Well, let's, let's sign up. Let's go. Let us hitch our wagon to something that's already happening. Let's see what we can do. If we can't put it on, how can we support someone that is? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so important. But then the last thing that I would say, again, that doesn't cost much money or anything at all is building opportunities to have courageous conversations, mm -hmm. to do a book club, to watch a TED talk together with the process and to break down, to, to be challenged, to learn, to hear what other people have to say. You know, there are so many, especially in our artisan world, there are so many events that happen that are terrible, but there are a lot of trials. How do we find a mixture of both? And how can we talk about it? How can we learn about things that are happening in this space? So I work in the homelessness sector. Well, there are lots of agencies. There are lots of people. There are a lot of organizations nationwide that are doing things. We're talking about a quick event run search. It's, again, not being caught up on the mountain of cans, but trying to pave the road of what can be done. And when you do that, you find that there's so much meaning in what you can do, and that's how you start to coalition build. That's when people say, you know what, I really like that we got involved in the community. I like that there's a civic engagement part that we are you know, last, about, it was either last week or maybe two weeks ago, the inaugural run with Obama March for the senseless murder of Amon Aubrey. 
Well, it doesn't take much to sign your name on a petition and walk. And we can attach ourselves to a larger cause and meaning. And we're doing social justice work. If we do a free walking tour, well, it is Asian American Pacific Islander Native Hawaiian Heritage Month. And they're doing a walking tour of the Chinatown and the history of what happens in our city. Well, it doesn't take much to sign up and to go and to learn and to be educated from members of that community and to not just walk through it and look at what you can buy, but to walk through it and hear the stories and the triumphs and the trials of a community that you would never know if you just didn't do. You know, pick a topic. You'll find a million YouTube videos on it. What can we do? Because again, all of us are masters in articulating the can't. Mm -hmm. But if we, again, just flipped it on its head just a little bit, how do we focus on what we can do, what is in our control? I really hope ERG leaders heard that because there's so, I mean, even what you said with the YouTube video or the event, the people who host these events could be good speakers and they could be a lot less than the ones that you're thinking about and more impactful in many cases. So there's just so many opportunities to, or even like Clubhouse or TikTok, like these are people yeah. Give hacks or S social you know. media platform. Every municipality in the U.S. Mm -hmm. has a Parks and Rec, a Department of Public Works volunteer. Maybe since we don't have the finances, you think maybe what we're going to do is we're going to give back to our community. So we may pick a Saturday a month and do a cleanup. We may find some, you know, low vent that's happening in, even though. We may not be putting on, we're going to go support because we're still getting a benefit. We're still getting a payout. Mm -hmm. So again, I would just challenge folks to, and it's easier said than done because it can be tiresome. It can be draining. But if you just flip your perspective on focusing on the road of can instead of the mountain of can, things change. There is a shift that will occur. So true. I recently just learned, and this might be common knowledge to most people, but I just got really tapped into Chambers of Commerces. Yeah, absolutely. The Chamber okay. of Commerce, the Small Business Association, the Department of Public Works. Yeah. And every city has that for, like, there's like a Black Chamber of Commerce for Detroit. There's like, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and you can do this by just going to your city website. A lot of us will live in cities and never even visit the city's website. Mm -hmm. What do they have going on? You know, you go to San Francisco.gov, there'll be some legislative pieces, but they'll also say, this is what we're doing in the community. Mm -hmm. And again, every, some of the most meaningful work, some of the most meaningful conversations, some of the most meaningful interactions aren't always going to live behind a paywall. People want to come in. It's that old adage. I think it's from Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. And building it doesn't mean that you have to beg and plead and figure out building it could be okay well let me take a step back and let me do a little bit of research what's available how do i get some buy-in and how to react so true and i can tell you one of the things that i've also done here so because i'm an individual contributor not only do i i do sort of our learning and development but i also do employee engagement and we try to do fun activities so I created a, an employee engagement calendar for the year, and we'll have things on it like Star Wars Day. It doesn't take much to, to, especially if you have the paraphernalia, you know, wear red day, International Day of Wearing Pink. You know, I'll, I'll work with our board and folks that have a bit more resources. So National Donut Day is on June 5th, and it gives us an opportunity to engage with the board and our leadership council, people that want to give back but just don't know how. Mm -hmm. 
And again, I, I've had more success with something as simplistic as it's walk to work day. So what we're going to do in partnership with the American Heart Association, who's done all the designing and all the flyers and everything, is we're going to walk as a group for 30 minutes. We can do it during lunch. We can do it. We can find a time that's most meaningful. And we are participating in a national organized day, but we're doing it at a level that is feasible for us. I've had more people come and do little things than if I were to get the greatest speaker ever. And pay a lot of money. Yeah, do- absolutely. Take notes, everyone. I hope you all are because there is so much in that there's two questions because i know we're coming up coming up at time there's two questions that we like to ask all of our guests especially with this being the erg movement podcast all about the forward movement of ergs the first question is where do you see ergs in about 10 years like or like what's the dream state for ERGs? well the dream state in 10 years because i i do believe there's a level of importance you will hear practitioners say, like, I want to work myself out of a job. Well, I the reality of the country we live in and the history that they ask, probably not going to happen. Because there's always going to be issues. There's always going to be prejudice and making sure you opportunities to learn and grow. For me, I hope that in 10 years, ERGs are the standard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there's a level of sustainability. There is a level of authenticity. And it is leverage is one of the greatest recruiting tools that a company can have. Because there is the understanding that no matter what job you're in, people are your greatest resource. That's why it's called human resources. Mm-hmm. Because we have to tap into each other's humanity. So I would hope that in 10 years, ERGs are the standard. Organizations do whatever they have to do to ensure that there is an ERG, a BRG, a DRG, an affinity group. I don't care what acronym you use, but there is something here where we recognize our employees' humanity. We we breathe life into what's important to them, into the communities, and however they're set up. It is the same. And we use that to bring on the next generation of talent. I think that has my, been my favorite answer thus far to the to that question. Because I 100% agree, just going back to the beginning of the conversation with the different clubs and things like that that exist in schools, that might determine if someone's going to join a school, if they have a swim club or a chess club or a multicultural club. Absolutely. Having worked in in higher ed, and I've worked at liberal arts, small privates, large publics, worked at the HBCU, which I'm repping my university here, I can tell you. In, in recruiting fairs, I talk to them, there have been so many students that I've talked to that said, oh, you all don't have this club? Oh, you all don't have this fraternity or sorority? I'm not interested in it. Mm. It's because it's not just about the academics because academically, even though the rigor may change, I'm going to get the same, I'm going to get the same standard. Mm-hmm. But when I think about what makes me whole, how I can be social, how I can grow into the person I want to be, if you don't have something, then people will choose to do it. And I'm telling you, this has happened for decades. Mm-hmm. That, uh, when you think about the term legacy, or where you are bringing your, your child somewhere, if your parent had an experience, if the parent said, oh, no, you can't mirror what was given to me, because I'll tell you, anyone that's privileged enough to go to college, you may have a professor or something that sold into you that, that really, really did something for you, but it's the experience that you have with people. Not the length of time you were in the library, not the time you spent on the calculator or in the bookstore 
No, it's who you spent time with, how they provided opportunities for you to spend time in the way they challenged you to grow socially and emotionally and mentally as a human, not just your ability to regurgitate some academic stuff. I love that. Honestly, I think that that's probably one of my passions too around ERGs is because I didn't get that experience. So now it's like in a workplace, having that experience of like, when you connect with people, it just makes it so much more valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people, they may take it, take it for granted because they've seen it their whole lives, but in a workplace, it is so powerful. Okay. I love that answer. The other question then on the opposite end is what is something in the ERG space that you see ERG programs or leaders doing that also needs to stop with us being, what's the part of ERGs? That's, one that's, that's tough because again, it's asking me to paint a broad brush stroke across agencies and opportunities and, and things I don't know all about. So what I would say, and I'm going to go back to the, what we talked about earlier is we are in control of our ability to shift the perspective from can't to can. And one thing that I would love to see ERG stop doing is focusing on what can't be done and put the same energy into what can be done. Mm. And if we can do that, if we can focus on what can be done, not comparing ourselves to last year's group or that organization or this organization, but to say, okay, I understand that there are confines that I have to work within. So I can run against these confines if I'm running against a wall, or I can run up against these brick walls, and I can do that until I hurt myself, or I can figure out what I can do and not focus on what I can't. Very powerful. I don't think we could end it any better than that. Please, Red, tell the people where they can find you. Absolutely. So again, thank you for creating the ERG movement and all of the work that you have put into it, you and others, the Slack community, you being open to help on LinkedIn. I think it's really important that we give you your flowers and you seeing that there was a need in the market for not only your skill set, but for the platform and building that. So I want to honor you and say thank you for that. Um, if anyone is interested in connecting with me, you can find me at Brett Burden on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect with me. I'm always happy to chat with people and connect because, again, I think it's important because I understand the power of relationships. And if you want to learn more about the work we're doing here at Compass Family Services, you can visit us at compass-sf. That's compass-sf.org and see some of the things we have going on. So, again, I appreciate you so much for giving me the opportunity to share. Thank you so much for being on here. And thank you to all who are watching. I will make sure to catch you on the next episode.